Well, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord this evening. Let's turn to your Bible and turn to Psalms chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16, I'm going to read all 11 verses. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their name into my names into my lips. The Lord is a portion of my inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege we have to be assembled together tonight. Thank you for the encouragement and Strengthening and find in your word, and I pray as we look into the word of God tonight that we would be encouraged and challenged and strengthened in our walk with you. Thank you for safety, and uh, we pray you just help us now, and uh, may we be encouraged and strengthened. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I titled this tonight simply The Preservation of the Saints. You know, in, in uh, Second Samuel, <clears throat> of course, David is considered to be the author of this psalm. In Second Samuel chapter 8, in verse 7 and also in verse 14, the Bible says this about David. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 6 and verse 14. Verse 6 and verse 14. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought gifts. And notice... And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And then again in verse 14 it says, And he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom put he garrisons, and all they of Edom became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. You know, Jude 1 says that we are preserved in Jesus Christ and called. See, God does pre- preserve his, his saints. And so think about that tonight. I've got several, three things I'm going to look at. First of all, or four things, the personal defense of the Lord. In verses 1 and 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. Preserve me. The word preserve means to keep safe. Keep safe. It's the Lord that keeps us safe. In Psalm 121, you might call it the the, the keep safe psalm uh, or the preserve psalm. 
but anyway, in Psalm 121, and it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth, and there's, there's the word keep, he that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And of course, we know in, in, when the children of Israel were, were in the wilderness, you know, the Lord went before them, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them in the way. And it protected them and it sheltered them. It sheltered them and protected them from the Egyptians when the Egyptians were pursuing. See, the Lord it is the Lord that keeps us or preserves us in the way. In Psalm 141, verses 8 and 9. Psalm 141, verses 8 and 9, again. But mine eyes are, are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Keep me or preserve me. Uh, Jacob... The Lord said to Jacob in Genesis 18 or 28:15, when he was on his way to Haran, uh, fleeing from Esau and to get his wife from Rebekah's kin, and the Lord said, "Behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again unto this land, for I will not leave thee." I want you to notice this phrase: "Until I have done that which I was spoken to thee of." I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah 54, 17, which says this, No weapon formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith Lord. Now this is Isaiah, of course, they got a prophecy. Now Isaiah was eventually martyred. After his prophecies were all done. But until that time, no weapon formed against him was going to prosper. You know, it was said to Jeremiah when he was, when he was just, uh, when the Lord called him, in Jeremiah 1.8, Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And, and if you read on in chapter 1 there, God tells Jeremiah, I'm going to make you a brazen wall. I mean, they tried several times to kill Jeremiah. I mean, he was put in a dungeon, in a pit, for, I think it was 30, some, 30 days, and he, they thought he was going to die there, and somebody then petitioned the king, and, and he allowed him to get him out. Uh, but Jeremiah, even though all the things he suffered and endured, he didn't die a martyr to death. In Ephesians 1.11, it says this, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things accord, after the counsel of his own will. So God, you know, the longer I live, the more I, I, I convince that there's not, there isn't accidents. There's no accidents in the life of God's children. You know, Paul, 
in 2 Timothy 4, 6, said this, I am now ready to be offered. Time of my departure is at hand. Peter spoke that way. He said knowing, in 2 Timothy 1, 14, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Speaking that he knew that his time was near, that he was going to be put to death. But think of all the times Peter and Paul's life was threatened or nearly snuffed out. Peter before the Sanhedrin, if Gamaliel, you know, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, if Gamaliel wouldn't have stood up and said, I recommend you give these men a little space. Because if it be of God, you're not going to overthrow it. But if it be of men, it'll come to naught. But I would say, God. Gamaliel didn't intervene. God did. He just used Gamaliel to intervene. Because it wasn't Peter's time. God wasn't done with Peter. Of course, Peter, before Herod, again, God intervened. The angel of the Lord delivered him from the prison. Paul's life was constantly threatened. It seemed like he thrived on danger. <laughs> or is it he simply believed his life was in the hand of the keeper? After all, God said, I have called thee, and I'm going to send thee far to the Gentiles. So he knew that until he journeyed far, his life wasn't going to be taken. You see, if you're a child of God, your life is in the Father's hand. John 10, 29 tells us that. He's the keeper, and nothing can harm you unless he allows it. Or you walk contrary to his will, then he may chasten you. So we need to rest in him. He is our personal defense. He is our personal defense. Secondly, once you notice a practical dominion we see here in verses 3 through 6. It says, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen on me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. Now, I call this practical dominion. The word dominion means the power of governing. Power of governing. And though our Lord is our portion, verse 5 says. And the word Lord, so the Lord is over us. He is our Lord. He's our master. He's our ruler. He's the one that should govern us or have dominion over us. And so therefore, through the Lord, we can, we can have victory over the sin, over you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can have victory. Psalm 119, 133 says, Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And verse 9, Romans 6, 9, says, Knowing that Christ... Being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, so like Christ, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Let not sin therefore reign or have dominion. Reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in this lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unsealed unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye not under the law, but under grace. You see, we have a power available to us if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, and if the Spirit of God abides within us, we just sang about, we have a power available to us to overcome the trials and the temptations of life. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. So, you know, we have the Spirit of God that dwells within us, then we don't have to be, have, uh, uh, our sin does not have to have dominion over us. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, Whatsoever born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So we can have victory. We don't have to have, the sin doesn't have to have dominion over us. We can have dominion over the world, the flesh, and the devil through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're also delivered from the dominion or the bondage or the sorrows of false religion. Notice verse 4 says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The word sorrows here means pain or wounds as it relates to idols. You know, idolatry brings heartache. The love of money is the root of all evil, which will some coveted after they've erred from faith and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. See, money is an idol to many people. And it has brought a lot of sorrow. One commentator said this, Many heathens sacrifice to their idols, that is the devils, with man's blood, against all laws of humanity and piety. In addition, the priests of Baal offered their own blood to their false god. Some Roman Catholics and Muslims also whipped themselves to blood, offering their blood to their twisted conception of God, unquote. You know, in the Philippines, I saw this, I don't know if it's still done, but in the Philippines, I know years ago I saw uh, a clip about how some people on, I think it's Easter, Catholics, will whip themselves and even put themselves on crosses. They don't die, but, but they, they whip themselves and they shed blood. There's bloodshed. They have themselves whipped and put on crosses, you know, thinking, again, uh, that they're going to be like Christ. Again, you know, false... False religion brings this bondage or the sorrow and pain and wounds into life. Think of the suffering and death and sorrow that's come to many wives of ISIS men who have died or are incarcerated. And these women are in camps in Syria with nowhere to go because their mother countries don't want them back. They don't want them back because they're a security risk. How do you vet them? Were they in favor of going to war with, going to, the, to Syria to war for ISIS with their husbands? And many of them have children. 
And there they are in camps in Syria with no home. No hopes of going anywhere. Why? Because of false religion. See, false religion brings bondage. It brings sorrow. It brings heartache. Think of the sorrow and suffering in Jerusalem as Manasseh introduced the worship to Moloch, offering babies on a heated altar. Can you imagine hearing the screams of live babies? Or go to India. Rats running everywhere, roaches, cows wandering around. Might be one of your relatives come back to life. I remember the president where I went to Bible school, they supported a missionary in India. He made a couple trips over there, and the first one he went, first time he went, he took his wife, and I think maybe his daughters, I'm not sure about the daughters, but I know his wife went. So they're sleeping. In the middle of the night, they get awake, and there's rats running over the top of them. And being the macho kind of man he was, he just grabbed a club or got his shoes on or something and began killing rats. Until morning, he had a pile of rats, dead. And the missionary that he was working with over there, when, he's, when he came the next morning and, and he showed him the pile of rats, he said, oh my goodness, we've got to hide these. Because if people find out, we are finished here. Because after all, that may be their ancestors that he just killed. You say, that's just kind of stupid. Well, we think so. But if you grew up in that, you wouldn't think so. You have Mexico Catholics crawling on cobblestone to altars of Mary. Why do people do this? They, they're in bondage to false religion. They live in fear of their religion. A fear of their made-up God. Because they lack the liberating knowledge of the truth. You know, there's people in this area that are afraid of the future. They're afraid to die. They're uncertain. They don't like to think about it. Why? Because they're not prepared. They don't know the truth. You see, there's a practical dominion we have over these things because we know the truth in Christ Jesus. Let's notice the third thing. There's also a preserved direction. Notice verses 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. We have a preserved direction. Notice verse 7 says that who hath given me the Lord, who hath given me counsel. The word counsel means to consult for anyone. To consult for anyone. In Psalm 32 verse 8, he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. You know, we have, as God's children, we have a divine consultant. You know, a consultant is one who gives excellent professional advice. And I would say, without any reservation, 
that we have one that can give us excellent professional advice. I mean, he knows the end from the beginning. And everything in between. He is past, present, and future all at the same time. He is here with us and in heaven all at the same time. Go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of an understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtly to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and their dark saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so, you know, we have this divine consultant. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise counsels thou shalt make thy war. And in multitude of counselors, multitude of counselors there is safely, safety. We have a multitude of counselors in this book. And, you know, they all agree. They don't contradict each other. And when I, somebody gives me something to read and says, you know, that our prophets say this, and it contradicts what the prophets of the scriptures say, I believe the prophets of the scriptures. After all, the prophets of the scriptures all agree. And that's a requirement for being a prophet. He has to agree with the rest of the prophets. Even when they were speaking in tongues in New Testament times, if somebody said anything and it was contrary to the rest, it was negated. But, and besides, God says he's not going to add his words anymore. Now, we have a multitude of counselors. And with those counselors, there is safety. Safety. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Young people, if somebody wants to give you counsel, you better very seriously consider it. Proverbs 19.20, hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. You know, the more counselors you get, the, the more you listen to the word of God, the wiser you'll be in the end. Proverbs 8.6, hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. And see, these counselors speak excellent things. Proverbs 22.20, have not I written to thee excellent things in counsels and knowledge? Paul said in Romans 2.18, And knowest his will, and provest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Uh, Philippians 1.10, That ye may approve things that are excellent. See, God will instruct us in the way of excellency. Things that are good, that ye may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. One man said this, quote, Genesis 1 logs God's commitment to excellence, excellence when it says, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Christians should always do good work. Christians ought to be the best workers wherever they are. They ought to have the best attitude, the best integrity, and be the best in dependability, unquote. 
See, God's interested in excellent things. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. You know, we have counsel concerning every issue we will ever face in life in the Word of God. Raising children, then marriage, being parents, employment, relation to our relationship to government, how to, be, how to behave or to and ourselves in the house of God or, or govern a church. Talks to us about our speech, our dress, our music, even our hair. You know, everything that we, every issue we face in life is addressed in the scriptures and, and given examples of. You know, the Bible is very comprehensive. And one thing you can count on, Proverbs 19.21 says, There are many devices in man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. You're going to find out. You know, if you reject the counsel of God, you're going to find out in the end that the counsel of God is true. And it's going to stand. In the end, God's way is always right. It's always right. And we should question it. We should search it. We should search it out, but we should not question it. You see, we have this preserved direction from the Lord. And we need to be committed to it. We need to be committed to it. Notice verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. You know, something at the right hand speaks of a position of power and authority. And if we keep him in our right hand, he's the one we're depending on. That's the idea. He's the one we're depending on. He's the one we're looking to. He's the elder brother, if you will. You know, it's... You know, I'm, I'm one of five boys, and, and so and I was right in the middle of the boys, that is. And, you know, we always look to the older ones, and we would kind of imitate what they did, unless they got whooped for it. And then we'd say, yeah, we ain't doing that either, you know. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we did a lot of things. They taught us to do a lot of things. We learned a lot from them, from the older ones. And, and, and so Jesus, Jesus is our... Uh, 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 he's the firstborn. It speaks of being the elder brother, the one in authority, our priest, if you will, the priest of the family. He's our high priest. And so he is the one we need to look to. He's at our right hand. And if we set him on our right hand, if we keep always the Lord before us, the psalmist said, I shall not be moved. I shall not be moved. See, we need to keep our focus on the Lord. You know, there's only one window in the ark. It was on top. There were no windows on the sides. Noah wasn't to look out and see what was going on around him. He was to keep his thoughts and attention on the one who directed him to build the ark, 
and to go in the ark and then shut him in. See, we need to keep the Lord always before me. You know, Paul's, the reason Paul could continue on, and Peter and many of those other, others was, he had a directive from the Lord. He kept his focus on the Lord. He would say, the Lord strengthened me. All men forsook him. Second Timothy 4 tells us, but it said, the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. And so we have this preserved direction. Then I want you to notice, fourthly, a promised destiny. A promised destiny. Notice verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup, and thou, speaking about the Lord, maintainest my lot. Now, the word portion, I want to define a lot of words here in this verse because it is full. I would say it's very full as we think about this. The word portion means something weighed out or weighed out to you is the idea. Weighed out for you. That would be like, you, like something you were owed be weighed out to you. Of course, inheritance means an allotment or reward. The word cup is, re, is a receptacle or a vessel that you receive something in. And the word lot has the idea of what falls to or is re- awarded to you. And the word line speaks of a measured field, an inheritance, again, a portion or a possession. So all these things have to do with something the Lord has for us. Every one of them. You know, we have a promised reward. That's our destiny. A promised reward. You know, the Levites, they didn't have a, they didn't have a possession. Their inheritance was in amongst all the other tribes. The Lord was their inheritance. And the Lord should be our inheritance. You know, Matthew 19.29 says this, And every one of that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Now there's been a lot of people down through the ages of time, of history since the first church, that have lost family, friends, lands, for the Lord's sake. Many of them were driven out. But the Bible says in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now who are the meek? Well, you know, meek, somebody is described as meek, it's not weak. In fact, Moses was said to be the meekest man on the earth, and he was anything but weak. But a, a meek person, I've just, you know, there's a long definition for it, but I boil it down to this. It's somebody that's weak to defend themselves, but strong to stand for the Lord. Oh, they're under submission to God, and they won't defend themselves against uh, those who rise up against them, uh, like the disciples and so on, but they are strong. They will stand up and declare the truth of the word of God without fear. You know, Paul allowed himself to be thrown in prison before he told him, you know what, guys, I am a Roman citizen. 
and he should not have been beaten. But he didn't throw that trump card out to protect himself. That's a uh, characteristic of meekness. Meekness, they that are blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now think about this. 1 Corinthians 6 2 says, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And the world shall be judged by you. Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Yeah, Paul said the saints. Don't you not know the saints are going to judge the world? That's us. Revelation 26 says, 20 and verse 6 says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So during the thousand year reign of Christ, we are going to reign with him. If you're saved today, you're going to be, you are going to be part in the first resurrection. You know, this is good in itself, but it's even better than that. I want you to notice in verse 6, it says, The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. It, this, this reward, this promised destiny, this portion that God has promised to us, is pleasant. It is good. Now, those two words mean this, agreeable, delightful, pleasing anyone, beautiful, polished to glisten. The idea here is no one's going to say who receives it, oh, I don't like it. Did you ever give somebody something and they say, oh, I don't like it? No, this is pleasant. This is a goodly heritage. It's pleasing to anyone. There will be no one that says, oh, I don't like it. Because it's going to be beyond what we can imagine in this life. You can let your imagination run. You know, Paul spoke of a crime of righteousness. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, the, uh, the angel of the Lord said to Daniel, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. They're going to shine. The wise are going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. With that in mind, go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> Verse 1. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, 
Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of, all, of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. That's us. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. See, Daniel said the wise are going to shine as the brightness of the firmament. Do you remember what the disciples said the Lord looked like on the Mount of Transfiguration? It was like the brightness of the sun. And that's a description we get here. It's a reflection, I believe, of our, of our Lord given to us. Gonna ride white horses. Clean and white. You see, this is the path of life that the saved are on. Verse ten he says, Thou wilt not leave thy soul my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You see, this is this is the will be the end of the path. This is the path of life. There is no end to it. This is the path of life that the saved are on. It's one without corruption, without sorrow, without aging or death. That's going to be our lot. We are on our way to the eternal city with streets of gold like transparent glass. And on the journey, on the way there, we can enjoy the liberty that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because we know the truth. We're not in bondage. Sin doesn't have dominion over us. It need not have dominion over us. We're not in bondage to the fear of death. Christ has delivered us from the bondage of death and sin. You see, we really are preserved. And it's all because of him. It's all because of him. Paul told the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.6, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day 
of Jesus Christ. That's preservation. What God finishes, or I'm sorry, what God starts, he is going to finish. We are preserved. God preserves his saints. Oh, there may be some skirmishes and some scrimmages here that we lose. But we are preserved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are on the victory side. We don't have to be in, live in fear. We don't have to live in bondage. We can have dominion over the world, the flesh, and the devil and be set free from the bondage of fear and death through our Lord, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have a glorious, promised destiny to look forward to when we go to be with him. You know, we have the best of both worlds. We have the best here. I mean, look what, look what false religion does to the world. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. But we can have peace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then, when we leave this life, go to be with the Lord. Where there's no corruption, no sorrow, neither death nor crying. What a glorious future we have, all because of what the Lord has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement that we find in it, in these blessed truths and promises of your coming for us again. And even so, come Lord Jesus. We look forward to that day when we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. But Father, until that day, help us to occupy until you come for us. I pray that you give us courage and strength. Help us just to rest in your promises, knowing that our times are in your hands. And you promise to supply all our needs according to your riches and glory. By Christ Jesus, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.